That's kind of our point number one, actually, is um, if you're sitting in here tonight and you're married or you're not married or whatever and you're anything like me, point number one is we're all fallen knuckleheads, okay? That's a technical term, you know, that we use in psychology. People say to me, one of the things we like about you, Dr. Cox, is you kind of bring it down to our level. Actually, this is my level, okay? We're all fallen knuckleheads. That's the technical term. Um, but it, all, it wasn't always that way. And, and, um, marriage conferences weren't always necessary. Like a gazillion years ago, I'd be out of work because in the beginning, we're told, God created marriage in such a way that it was wonderful, okay? Before the fall, Adam and Eve had a wonderful marriage, now, how do I know that? How do I know their marriage was wonderful? Does the Bible tell us about their marriage? Yes, it does. In one simple phrase. Anybody want to guess what it is? The Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. All right? Now, if you've been paying attention in Sunday school... That's not describing, you know, the first nudist colony or something, okay? What it's meaning is it's describing a relational status. It's saying that Adam and Eve in their relationship were able to be fully themselves and it was loved. I'm fully me and you dig it. There wasn't any hiding. There wasn't any criticism. There wasn't any, I don't like that about you. There wasn't any, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. They were just themselves and they were loved. Now try that on. Isn't that what you want? I mean, we'll pass a sign-up sheet around. I mean, you know, and everybody would sign. Singles, isn't that what you're wishing for? Like, isn't that what you're hoping you're going to get in a marriage? Is that's what I want, is I want naked and not ashamed. I want to be able to be me and it's celebrated. All right? And I'm beginning there because if you want to understand your marriage, if you want to understand your fights, if you want to understand your longings, you got to remember that this is what we were created for. And you still long for it. You still want it. And Adam and Eve actually had it. That's actually, I'll talk more about this in a minute, but that's actually one of the reasons you get angry and resentful in your marriage. Because your heart knows that it should be better. Your heart wants it to be happy. Your heart wants it to be naked and not ashamed. It's one of the reasons we fight, which I'll get to in a second. But they were created for this wonder. This sort of ideal, I look in your eyes, you look in my eyes, and we love it kind of experience. And we get that sense of where we fall in love and we get that ideal at last. I mean, no bride walks down the aisle and says, oh, well, I think he's okay. You know, she's glowing. She's at last. And, you know, there's a sense in which in our culture, people knock that. Like, oh, that's just that new love thing. Or don't get all hung up on, you know, just you wait. And we'll get to that. But I like to at least stop here and say the whole issue of the ideal, what we long for, how new love feels when you fall in love, I think is a godly thing. As we'll say in a minute, it does not last because the world has fallen and she's fallen and you're fallen. But I think that that joy, that celebration is a picture of something about what heaven's going to be like. God describes us as his bride. There's something about the joy of being united that fulfills our hearts. 
And I think we touch a little piece of that in that, oh gosh, I'm so in love kind of feeling. So I just want to stop, acknowledge that for a second before we destroy it. (laughs) Because that ideal is great. You know, you're going to find your Prince Harry or your Meghan Markle, you know, and you're going to think it's the greatest thing in the whole world. Um, I don't want to knock it, but I do want to tell you what to do when you lose it because you will all right because you have that new love you have that giddiness you have that ideal at last what I've always looked for and I'm, I'm like giving a nod to that but let's move on to reality because it's not too long before reality comes knock, knocking at the door and we move from the ideal to the second stage of marriage which is the ordeal okay or the real or the let's make a deal or the you know whatever And now planet Earth is full of junk in your relationship that feels bad. You misunderstood me. Would you get off my case? You're trying to control me. I don't like your parents. All right. Norma says sometimes just the way he breathes annoys me. You know? So now I'm falling and she's falling and then we have kids. Okay? So singles... The real ending to the Disney movies where they drive off together it's not, and they lived happily ever after. Because what they should do is fast forward another year later and Prince Charming is going, you can put on your own glass slip of Cinderella. Me and Rapunzel's husband are going to go watch wrestling. You know, and that's real life marriage, all right? Norman and I hadn't been married very long and we lived in this creaky little duplex in an old section of Jackson. And... um we were getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden, we both hear this loud thump downstairs. And we look at each other, and it's like, what was that? She goes, I don't know. I'm like, well, it sounds like there's somebody downstairs. She goes, I know. Why don't you go check? And I'm like, are you kidding me? There's no way I'm going down there. And she says, well, my daddy would have gone down there. And I said, let's call your daddy, you know. And so, you know, she looks at her Conan here like he's going to save her. And like, you know, welcome to marriage, sweetheart, you know. <clears throat> Now, this whole arrival of the ordeal that things start to get stinky is, is a problem. It's a crisis. And we hit that, and it's problem number one, all right? But problem number two, and this is key, is that most people, most humans, most marriages have no idea what to do once that yucky stuff starts to hit, once the ordeal hits. Things were great, now they're bad, now what do we do? In fact, think about it. What do we tend to do once things start to feel yucky in our marriage? Usually what we do is start, in some way, demanding the ideal back. Why can't you be more so-and-so? I can't believe that you said, and we start blaming, and we start criticizing, and we start nagging because I want you I want to make you back what I wanted. And inner conflict and fighting. And now it's not just that the world is nasty, now I'm getting nasty too. And we start to blame and criticize as our primary way of, getting, of dealing with the ordeal. Things get yucky. I'm going to deal with them by being yucky. So now it's twice as yucky. And actually a lot of the reason that it's being yucky is the ways I'm dealing with the yuck. Things kind of stink in our relationship, so I'm going to get mean and critical and blamey and demanding, which makes our relationship even worse. 
So the ways I'm trying to actually solve the problem make the problem worse. That's what Paul means when he says we are subjected to futility. So since the fall, the most natural human response when we encounter pain or hurt or you let me down or you disappoint me is that I want to blame or criticize or attack. Or some people go the other direction and comply. I'll try harder. I'll try to make you happy. I swear. I'll do do all I can. You're right. I'll do better. All right? Now, this blame-criticize approach was begun by our beloved mother and father, Adam and Eve. If you remember, when they sinned, the first thing they did was they hid, right? Um, Fig leaves, and they hid in the bushes, and God comes looking for them. What's the next thing they start doing? God says, who told you you were naked? And Adam does what any self-respecting husband would do. He blames his wife, okay? In fact, Adam blames Eve and God in one sentence. The woman whom you gave to me. Kind of this double blame attack zinger. I mean, which I think is pretty good for your first day as a sinner, you know? I mean, he's he's really taken to this. It's like hitting a double as a rookie in the big leagues, you know? I mean, like, wow, I think he's going to continue to do this, okay? Now, notice that this whole, if you... Pay attention to your relationship. This whole blame thing doesn't get you too far, if you notice. It doesn't get you much fulfillment in your marriage. It probably hasn't really helped your ordeal much. It hasn't helped solve the problems. And your spouse rarely says, wow, you know, you're right. I really am the bad guy. You know, that just doesn't happen. But nevertheless, most marriages become marriages of blame. And I want to kind of name that because that's one of the things I want you to get away from. Our inclination since Adam and Eve is when things are bad, it's got to be your fault somehow. Let's deal with this by finding out who the bad guy is. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. That's not what I said. You always say that. Hear it? I'm playing badness hot potato, and we just spend all night doing that. Now, we're not solving problems here. We're quarreling over who's bad. That's not helping. All right? So John's going to try to give you a different approach that helps. All right? Let's pause for a second there, though. Let's go back to something I mentioned earlier. Remember all that blame and condemnation and criticism. Let me give you the benefit of the doubt. I want want you to give each other the benefit of the doubt just for a second. Why are you doing that? Why are you critical? Why are you blaming your spouse? Why are you mad at them? Why are you sick of them? Why do you want to shake your fist out or shake your finger in their face? Why are you protesting so loudly? What are you saying when you're blaming and attacking your spouse? Let me give you the benefit of the doubt. One of the things you're doing is you're longing to get the ideal back, remember? One of the things you're saying when you say, why can't you be more so-and-so, is you're saying, I want this to feel good again. This feels bad, and I want it to feel good again. Okay? To a large degree, your spouse or your boyfriend, whatever, is not just being jerks here. When you're in conflict and when it's hurting, it's not just that they're being jerks. Part of them is saying, that felt bad. This feels bad. I want it to feel good again. That is something you both have deeply in common. I want to begin there in a sense tonight. You are both hurting. You both want it to be better you're on the same team in that sense. I have couples say to me, you know, oh, we have nothing in common. 
And I'm like, well, you know what? One thing you do have in common is you're both hurting and you both want the hurt to stop. In that sense, you're like same and samesies, okay? So one of the reasons that we're jerks when we're in our marriages or in our romantic relationship is because we don't know what to do with the hurt. We don't know why this problem is happening. We don't know how to fix it, so we just beat each other up about it, right? So what's the third stage? Where should we go? Well, I think the only hope is, and I think this is the gospel applied to marriage, is what I'm going to call a growth marriage. We're going to talk about what that means. This is, this is a marriage of love and truth rather than a marriage of blame and condemnation. Now, there's two parts to this because, as I said, this is very much the gospel applied to marriage. Step number one, the first step all that blame we were just talking about, first step is to say, hey, look, this isn't you're the bad guy or I'm the bad guy. Step number one is we're both fallen. We're both a mess. Where did John start tonight? Where I'm a biggest, bigger fallen knucklehead as the rest of you. We begin there, and we're going to make that safe. Now, I use that word on purpose. You know, kind of the, you know, the psychobabble psychology types go, oh, it's okay to be bad. No, it's not okay. Look at the cross and you can see it's not okay. But Christ made it safe. I'm fallen and sinful in ways I cannot even describe. But Christ has made it safe. Why? So I can do point number two. How can I grow and become more like Christ? Now that it's safe, I can tell the truth. Now that it's safe, I can start getting curious about where I need to grow. So, a growth marriage is a marriage in which we say, look, I could blame you and you could blame me till the cows come home. What's the point of that? Somebody's going to be the bad guy. Big deal. All right, let's say both of us are fallen. Both of us are a mess. Let's make that safe. Shake hands. Now, how do we start growing? What does one need in order to do a relationship well? What sort of abilities do you need in your heart to be able to love well, to be a good spouse, to be able to choose the right person to marry, to be able to date well? How do we develop those abilities? That's where I want to teach you. That's where I want to take you this weekend. I want to teach you what a human needs to make relationship work well. The reason you're having the ordeal and the reason that things can feel yucky in the relationship, you will see, is not because you'd have necessarily a bad marriage. It may be because you, both of you, are missing fundamental abilities in your character that humans need to make marriage work. And I'm going to try to teach you what they are. All right? So, this is going to be a little different than other marriage conferences maybe that you've been to. I'm going to skip over the basic stuff you can get in a marriage book. You know, like getaway weekends and five meaningful touches and men are like microwaves and women are like hot crock pots. You know, whatever that, you know. Yeah, you, you can get that anywhere. Um, I want to try to go a little bit deeper. <clears throat> Let's explain growth for a second. And this is going to be my little dip, my little foray into psychology. So, you know, hold your breath and walk through it. We'll get through it together, all right? Psychologically speaking, basic psychological principle God made us in such a way that in order to make life work, in order to get a job, in order to have friends, in order to get married, in order to serve God, in order to buy a car, heck, God made us to where we need certain abilities in our hearts, in our characters. We need emotional, relational skills, okay? 
like Napoleon Dynamite. You know, hey, Pedro, you've got skills, all right? You need skills, all right? In other words, we need what psychologists call character abilities. Do I understand love? Can I be close? Can I be connected? Can I be strong? Can I manage my emotional world? Can I deal with failure without decomposing? That's character software. Those are abilities that we learn in relationships. We ain't born with them, but if we don't have them, we're going to hit adulthood and find some abilities missing, some character software missing. For a psychologist, character is a technical term, and you'll hear me use it some today and tomorrow. And it doesn't mean, for a psychologist, it doesn't mean integrity, like he's a man of character. And it doesn't mean like, well, he's a real character. Character is a technical term that, that means the collection of heart abilities that humans need to make life work. And they also completely parallel what God calls us to in his image. Now, we learn and develop those abilities in relationships. And that's supposed to start when you're a little kid. You start learning in relationships. Is love safe? Is it okay to be me? Do bad things happen if I fail? Um, does everybody just pay attention to mommy if she's upset? Um, do you get forgiven if you mess up? Can you be strong? When we learn these things and we learn these abilities in relationships, that's why shrinks are always asking, like, tell me about your mama. Because the first place we start to learn about these character abilities, the software that I'm going to use to make life happen, is in my childhood. Now, that's because childhood involves relationship. Relationship doesn't stop. You still have relationship. You can continue learning these things in adulthood, which we'll talk about later on. So we begin this process in childhood. We begin the process of learning about how, does it, how do you get close to another person? Can you tell them what you feel? Can you trust their love? We learn these character abilities growing up, and we complete them in adulthood until one day we're all done with that, and we're these healthy adults who have the ability to love and be strong and be selfless and be forgiving, and when I fail, I don't get angry, and I can submit to authority, but also be big and strong. And that's all great, right? Everybody like double rainbow on that? <laughs> no, that's not what happens, right? The problem is that would have been a great plan, and it was God's original plan. But since sin entered the world, it's messed this whole thing up. And now your parents are fallen, and their parents are fallen, and you're fallen. And you know the old saying, if you think mom's crazy, you should have met grandma, you know? Um, so now we're all, like, we don't blame your mom in psychology. We blame everybody, you know? It's like, <laughs> so secret of the universe is this. God made us to where we're supposed to develop all these character abilities to love and be strong and be forgiving and share, you know, through our relationships, only those are all fallen and messed up. So we all hit adulthood missing some of the abilities you need to do life and to do relationships and to love well, and that's going to leave a mark. Okay? Oh, let's get that one there. We're going to come to life missing these abilities, and so guess what? You're going to have spiritual problems, and you're going to have work problems, and you're going to have spiritual problems and marriage problems, and that's because we're going to be missing, all of us are missing, we have blind spots in the abilities we need to do romantic relationships. We're going to talk about what they are, okay? Let me give you one more example, and I'll move on. 
Character is like a car. Think about it like this. A car has to have all sorts of abilities that it can do in order to function well. It has to be able to go. It has to be able to have brakes and stop. It has to be able to steer. It has to, you know, if you live in Mississippi, it better have an air conditioner. Um, you know, it needs, it, it needs to be able to turn. Okay, so it has all these functions it needs to be able to do. Now, let's take one of those functions away. Let's say this car does not have brakes. So it's driving down the interstate of life. Everything's fine, okay? But all of a sudden, there's, you know, Stuckies or something, and I want to pull off and go, you know, get a pecan roll, and I just go flying past the exit. Why? Because I don't have brakes. I'm missing something. In the same way, you need to tell me something in our relationship that I did that didn't feel good to you, which really shouldn't be scary because I know you love me, only I didn't ever develop that ability, the brakes, to be able to hear you talk about something less than wonderful about me and me kind of go, yeah, I really did screw that up, didn't I? Instead, I'm insulted. So I never got the ability to go, yeah, I messed up. You still love me? Instead, I'm like, well, I, it was your fault. Why? Because I'm a jerk? No, I didn't develop that ability to hear the truth that might not be great about me and that still feels safe. That's an ability. I'm going to tell you what the abilities are. And you know what? All of us have blind spots in them, and that's going to affect your marriage, and that'll hurt. But it's not hurting because you've got a bad marriage. It's hurting because it's hurting you're both incomplete, and you both have blind spots, and you both bring that to the relationship. So the solution is not to beat each other up and say, why can't you be more so-and-so? The solution is to say, hey, let's learn our blind spots. Where do you need to grow? Here's where I need to grow. Let's grow together. Let's make it safe to be fallen. Nobody's the bad guy. Now let's grow. All right? I'm just not even using this anymore, am I? Sorry. Okay, I'm caught up. Now, what are these abilities? Y'all with me so far? Excellent, good. <clears throat> this, is, this is, you know, when the Bible talks about your heart, this is what we're talking about. This isn't talking about look, go and grit your teeth and act like a nicer husband. This is how do you grow in your heart? This is heart psychology. This is what goes wrong with our hearts. That's what psychologists do. What Christian psychologists does is basically unpack the emotional heart element of what we all know from what God tells us in Scripture. So this is basically how you can both grow in your heart and your marriage. What do we need? I call them the four eyes. You know how they say there's no I in team? <laughs> there is in marriage. <laughs> in fact, there's four of them, all right? Number one. The first I, intimacy. In other words, can I do closeness? Can I be intimate? Can I let you know me? Can I do a connection? And can I trust connection? Because there's two parts of these. You'll see every one of these has two parts. Uh, Todd, could you, we're a little too, yeah, lower us just a little bit. I want both my questions there. The two questions of intimacy are, number one, can I let you in? And number two, that's perfect, can I keep you in? Good. 
Let me tell you what I mean by these. Can I let you in? Let's look at number one. Do I have the ability to be emotionally close? Y'all back with me? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain here. (laughs) Think about what we usually talk about in our life. We chit-chat, we do what I call, we'll talk in the morning, news, sports, and weather. You know, you hear about Trump's latest tweet, or, you know, how about them pirates? Or, you know, as we say in Mississippi, how about, how's your mama and them? You know, or we talk to solve a problem, like, I think Johnny's got ADD, or do you think we ought to remodel or move? And we talk about the junk of life, right? Well, if that's all you can do, we're going to talk about this whole number one in detail tomorrow, our Number one talk is going to be on intimacy and closeness. So, guys, if you want to sleep in, I'm sure your wives won't mind if you don't make it to that one. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> we're going to talk. In talk number two, we're going to talk about not buying so many shoes. Okay, so guys, be sure and bring your wives to that one. All right. Anyway, so if this all you can do is talk about the hey, you know, what's up kind of stuff, if that's the deepest you can go, you'll never really get a sense of who I am. Okay. In other words, let you in means did I learn the ability to understand what it feels like to be me? Some people don't know. And can I communicate what it feels like to be me, my heart? And can I care how it feels to be you? All right? That's, that's intimacy with the human being. All right? That's all it is. Do I know what it feels like to be me? Can I communicate what it feels like to be me? And can I care what it feels like to be you? This ain't rocket surgery. All right? So for a marriage to be meaningful, we have to be able to sort of go below the surface and share our hearts. And like I I implied a minute ago, that's going to involve something in the feeling realm. Usually, like I'm hurting, or I love you, or I'm proud of you for what you did at work, or I can really tell you're exhausted from the kids. Do you hear the heart there? Now, if you can't do that, your marriage is going to feel like there's something missing, like it's going to feel roommate-y. Because all you did was say, did you hear about Trump's tweets, or how about them pirates, or how's your mom and them? That's all you talked about. You didn't say, I had such a hard day. Really? I see that. You look exhausted. I love you. You hear the connection? Can we do that? That is an ability we have to be taught in relationships. God calls this abiding. God loves this. He calls it abiding with himself and with other people. He describes its absence by saying, these people honor me with lip service, but their hearts are far from me. Ever hear that from your spouse? (laughs) So if you want your marriage to grow, or if you want your dating to progress, ask yourself, how good am I at that ability? Could this be one of my blind spots? Am I able to let my heart be known? I don't know. Sometimes couples can feel distant, and it might not be that they have a bad marriage. It might be that one or both of them ain't really good at this connecting thing. So can I let you in? All right. Now, at this point in the show, all the connecty relational types are saying, right on. Preach it, brother. I'm really glad I brought him. They're like elbowing him and hoping he's listening. This is great stuff. I love this guy. All right. By the way, just to say it, I'm sure that some of y'all's relationships are like this too. Me and my wife are backwards. 
You know, guys get stereotyped as not being the real relational, connecty, emotional types. And, and, you know, they're more problem solvers and all that. And women are more into relational connection. My wife and I are opposite. Okay? I'm from Venus. She's from Mars. All right? I'm the emotionally touchy-feely one. And she's the one, like, trying to fix my problems. And I'm like, why can't you just hear me? You know? Just cut off that ball game and talk to me. You know, that's me. (laughs) Anyway, the relational types are going, this is awesome stuff. But for us relator types, guys, let's own this, guys and gals. This also means if I develop the ability to feel that I'm loved and connected inside. In other words, can I keep you in? In other words, you love me and can I remember that? This is about, do I, lead, do I live my life needing you always to be relational and connected and assuring and encouraging and supportive and connect with me all the time? Or can I sometimes just feel good being me? I know you love me, even if you are watching the game, okay? So part of love is sharing, but a lot of us sharing types are constantly needing to be understood and reassured and connected with. And if we're not talking a lot, it's not okay. And you dating people, you text your boyfriend and he doesn't text back and you start worrying and like sending little cutie emojis hoping he'll respond because you can't trust love. It's going to be okay. So the second question isn't, can I let someone in? The second question is, have I learned the ability to, to feel loved and connected even if you are watching the football game? Okay. And I keep love in. We're going to unpack this one totally in talk number one tomorrow. But that's a little preview of coming attractions. And I want you to get all four character abilities tonight. Because I want you to start thinking about your marriage regarding character. It isn't like, oh my gosh, my husband's such a, you know, a robot. No, maybe he doesn't have the ability to let you in. Or, oh my gosh, my wife's so needy and demanding. Well, maybe she can't keep you in. All right? I want you to start learning this in terms of a character ability issue. By the way, what happens when can't let you in and can't keep you in go out on a blind date? They get married. Okay? It's like, I have no ability to connect and all you want is connection. This is perfect. You know, welcome to every marriage I know. (laughs) These are a continuum, BT dubs. Okay, nobody's at one end or the other, but I want you to kind of get the polarities. You're going to tend toward one side or the other, um, but nobody's going to be completely one or the other, okay? Now, if you struggle here, that's cool in the gang, okay? We're good. You're, you're falling. Welcome to the club. Start admitting that to your boyfriend. Start admitting that to your spouse, Bring that to your growth places, which we'll talk about later tonight, that the body of Christ is the place that we're going to start learning to develop these abilities if we don't have them. That's what the body of Christ is for, for us to grow. But quit fighting. And instead, start saying to your spouse, you know, you're right. I don't, that's what you've been talking about, right? That's what you mean. You're right. I don't do that well. Really? I don't do this well. All right? Instead of what we usually do, which is, oh my gosh, you're such a needy, demanding shrew. Oh yeah, well, you should have not married. You should have, you know, being married to you is like being married to an android. You know, and it's like this really life-giving things, you know. All right. Number two, the second I, identity. This is the issue of separateness, boundaries, who am I, 
Does what I want, do I know what I want in life, who I am? Does that matter? Um, can, it, can I be different from you? In other words, even when we're one with somebody, like intimacy, we're still two. I'm still me. I love you, but I'm not you. In other words, there's more to relationships than candlelight and bath soaps and Adele music, you know. There's also the issue of like separateness, okay? I'm not you. We're different. I don't agree with you, all right? Again, this one has two sides. As my therapist used to tell me, it's a mighty thin dime that don't have two sides, all right? So there's two sides to every one of these. Can I be me and can I let you be you? In other words, can I be me and you be you and we both matter? Now, what this refers to is a term that you'll hear more of tomorrow, and that is mutuality. The two biggest parts of any relationship, the two biggest parts of a marriage, always dance between this yin and yang of of intimacy but mutuality. We're close, but we both matter. Nobody's going to be the winner. We're both going to matter. We're both going to be close. There's intimacy, but we're also not the same as each other, and we dance in that, okay? That's the mystery of marriage. We're one, but we're two, okay? So can I be me? Let's look at that one first. This is the ability to know what I, who, who I am, what I want, what I value. Who's John, okay? Can I have my ideas regardless of you, all right? Can I be close to you but different from you? You know those people, and probably about half of you are those people, who basically feel like they are unable to be me if somebody else isn't going to like it. You know, you're going to be upset at me, or people will laugh, or people will talk about me, or they'll be really upset. And they become kind of doormats or chameleons. I'm going to kind of be what other people want. And they end up typically being on every Sunday school committee because they won't ever say no to you. They're good ones to call. Um, They can't pick a restaurant, you know, where you want to go. I don't know. Anywhere's fine, okay? And they're kind of living their life in sort of this compliant child position of, I don't want to upset whomever in my life, all right? You guys know who you are. Your spouses are saying, shut up, quit talking about this. Stop. He does everything I want. Go away. Now, to you, doormats, (laughs) we need the ability in our lives to set limits. We need the ability in our lives to have a seat at the table. We need the ability in our lives to, to, to be taught in relationships, you will learn this in the experiences that you have in your relationships, that it's okay to be you. You're different from me, and I'm not mad, I'm not threatened. You're going to learn that as a kid. You can relearn that, unlearn that as an adult. But I see people all the time, and they come to my office, and they have this, like, demanding, mean, controlly spouse. And they have a lot to say to me about how this person's always telling them, you know, how to drive and how they ought to spend them, their money, and they're not loving them well enough, and they have a lot to say about what a jerk this person is. And that's bad and all, but what I always say to them is, you know, I just wonder what would happen if instead of complying with them all the time, or trying to appease them all the time, or doing their bidding all the time, what would happen if you said to them, look, I'll discuss with you, I will work with you, We're going to both matter here, but I'm not going to talk to you if you're going to start attacking me. Not going to do it. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you rant at me all this time. I'll go upstairs if I need to. And when you're ready to have a real conversation like adults and we both matter, let's do it. In other words, I say to them, I wonder what your relationship would look like if you were in it. 
You might have the best relationship, best marriage in Pratt County if you were in it, because you're not in it. You're living always in response to them. Where's you? And they go, oh, well, they get really mad. And this person's living their whole life based on what this other person is going to do. Can you be you? That's an ability we need to, be, to learn. We need to be taught that. We need a sense of self is what we call it. This isn't selfishness, by the way. Selfishness is only I matter. Okay? This is just you get a seat at the table. There are two seats at the table. All right? Biblically speaking, this is stewardship. Biblically speaking, this is knowing who I am and making choices based on that and that being a factor in our relationship. I'm a player in the game. This is what God calls a ye. In other words, you remember when Joshua was bringing the people in the promised land and he says, all right, guys, choose ye this day whom you will serve. All right, you got to have a ye. Like, choose ye. Who is ye? Me and my house, we're going to serve Yahweh. What are you going to choose? you got to have somebody inside that's choosing. Who is that? What do you value? What do you want? Or do you just live, oh, we'll serve Yahweh because Joshua is. Okay? What do you choose? Made us to have a chooser. That is stewardship. All right? By the way, another version of the I can't be me is, besides being a doormat, is being passive. Passivity is the nice person sin. It doesn't get much press. It's really, really destructive. Um, passivity is where I live never initiating in my life. I'm not an actor in my life. I don't proactively initiate anything. Um, my spouse is always having to create a life that happens. I'm never calling the plumber unless she reminds me. Um, they're always having to initiate sex because I don't take the ball with that. I don't ever come back and initiate. Let's talk about that fight from last night. You know, passive people. Now, if you're a passive person, let me just address that briefly, and we can do more in Q&A if you want, because they're very difficult to be in relationships with because they put the other person in a double bind. In other words, if I live with a passive spouse, I have two options. Number one is to not do anything, and guess what? Nothing will get done. Or number two, to initiate something, which will enable them to keep being passive all the time because I just did it again, okay? And they're just along for the ride, all right? That will make your spouse crazy. So, passivity is kind of like that parable, you know, the guy who buried his talent. He didn't want to take any risks. He didn't want to go out on a limb. He didn't want to initiate anything. And we all know what happened to him, right? All right? So, not knowing who, who is me, can I be me, is also the issue of being proactive and initiating in your relationship, okay? This is male leadership, too. Can I initiate? Can I be a leader like Christ? Um, now, who do the doormats marry? Usually, they marry Mr. or Mrs. Too Much Me. In other words, I don't have a lot of me, so I'm going to marry somebody who runs the show, all right? So the next question is, can I let you be you? In other words, the I can't be me people can't say no. The can I let you be you people, you see, they have trouble hearing no. They want their way. I'm one of those people. Now, our sin nature makes this one a little bit tougher. Can I let you be you? This is in some ways about submission. Can I bend the knee to someone else? Our sin nature basically says, I mean, think about it. Our sin nature is... 
We're all born and we hold a board meeting and elect ourselves chairman. I mean, isn't that kind of what sin nature is about? <laughs> so we're kind of swimming against the sin nature current on this one. How do I bend the knee and hear no? But it's vital. I got a guy right now and a couple I'm seeing. Um, and It's actually kind of interesting. He literally has never had anyone say no to him in his life. Like growing up, he was the little prince. He could do no wrong. And of course, his wife was literally, you know, controlled by him completely. And she got into therapy and I started talking to her about like, do you exist here? And when she started existing, he goes nuts. Like he's angry. He is insulted. How dare you matter? You know, how dare you not do everything I say? And of course, I'm not on this real fan list myself for teaching her to have a sense of self. Um, but the question we got to ask here at this point, and I'm like this, I, I tend to be more of a forceful type. How good am I at the ability to embrace them being them, to step out of the way, to bend the knee, to make room for somebody else, to let them have a messy car if mine's all clean, to not freak out about how they're managing money, to respect that, and work it out. You matter and I matter, we work it out, all right? Now, as, as a controller, one of the people who has trouble letting you be you, let me say to you doormats, those of you who live with us controlly types, we need you to set limits on us. We need you to have a sense of me. We need you to say no. We need you to say, you're being ugly and I don't want to talk to you. We need you to set loving limits on our controlliness. It's the only thing that will sanctify us. And it's the only way you will get to matter in your relationship. All right? First thing a marriage needs, if it has a controlly spouse who always gets their way and is bullying the other one, the first thing that marriage needs is for the one down spouse to stand up to the other one and go, you're being mean and critical again to me, and I don't have those kind of conversations. They need, we need you to be powerful to us. Not only does that protect you in the relationship, it starts to rebalance the relationship where we both matter. I be me, and I can let you be you. And it also pushes them to grow. It makes us controlly types have to get humble. And that's the only way we're ever going to grow. All right? So uh, this is why our typical Christian response to the wife who lives with a bully husband, and we tell her, you need to just go back and submit better. That's why this doesn't work. Because if you submit better to a bully, he just stays a bully. She needs to learn loving power to say, no, I, I exist here too right? Huge piece. Very neglected in the Christian community too. Um, we only learn about how to be loving to one another. We don't learn loving power to the jerks. And that's what I need to grow. I need you to be lovingly powerful to my jerkiness. Anyway, to do that, you have to have a you, all right? And we'll talk tomorrow in our second talk about addressing the conflict that this will inevitably create. Thank you very much, all right? But conflict is good, you doormats. You heard it here, all right? Now, if you can't do these things, again, it's cool. We'll start learning, start talking to one another about it, not as enemies, but as fellow compliant, as fellow incomplete fallen people. Now, let me address one more thing here, and we'll take a short break. Does that feel good? All right. Um, we'll, and we'll do the other two after the break. What if your spouse isn't interested in any of this? I'm talking about you two working together. How do you grow in, together as a team? No more attacking. You're going to 
like grow? And what if your spouse is like, are you crying out loud? I'm not into all that cycle babble junk. Uh Uh-uh. I don't do that. What do you do if your spouse doesn't care? What if your spouse says, yeah, I'm the bully in the family and I like it. You know, men should be the head of the home. Now do what I say. What do you do if you have an unrepentant spouse? Let me address that. Um, There's good news. You can change your marriage even if your spouse doesn't want to play. I do it all the time. I joke with my colleagues that the best marriage therapy I do is individual therapy with one of the spouses. And this is why. Marriages are a system. We'll talk um, tomorrow about cycles. And a marriage always has a dance and a cycle. Marriages are like a baby mobile. All right, think about it. Here's a baby mobile, and it's got all sorts of little, you know, I don't know, Noah's Arks or something hanging down from it, right? Now, what happens to that baby mobile if you just cut off one of the Noah's Arks? The whole baby mobile shifts, all right? Marriages are like that. If you have a spouse who doesn't care, and you grow, you start learning where your blind spots are. You start learning the abilities that you lack, you will shift the balance in your relationship and your spouse will change. I've seen this so many times in 35 years and they won't even know they're doing it, all right? So don't fall back on the, oh, well, my spouse will never do this stuff because if you are willing to live in a godly way, if you're willing to live in a growth-producing way, if you're willing to go to your body of Christ people and say, I want to develop some of these blind spots that I have, you will change your marriage, The more like Jesus you look, which is kind of what we're talking about here in a psychological sense, people don't live around Jesus and not change. They'll change. You just do your homework, all right? And it'll change that baby mobile. So take hope in that. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk about dealing with imperfection. What abilities do we need to deal with the yuck in life and dealing with um, managing our emotional world? So let's take a break for 10 minutes. Just 10. I'm going to start again at... Well, let's say 11. I'm going to start again at 10 after. Thank you all.